Let's take our Bibles together this morning. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's take our Bibles together and turn in God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses, verses 1 through 4. We introduced this passage by way of introduction on Wednesday evening. And we got through verse 1. We have our work cut out for us this morning. We need to get through verses 2 through 4. So church family, hang on. We'll jump in and we'll spend our time walking through this text this morning. Join me there in verse 1 where Peter writes to the church, to the believers who are scattered abroad. He says this at the beginning of verse 1. He says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those that are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Well, this is the word of God. The title this morning is part two, the portrait of a pastor or the role of the pastor in the church. If you're here this morning, you've not been with us Wednesday night or the announcements. Why are we preaching in first Peter this morning? That's a great question. Back in May, I went with a heart cry missionary society who we pray for and support. And I went with a group of pastors for the second time to the country of Kenya. And the theme of the teaching for that week in classroom sessions was the doctrine of ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. And we, multiple pastors, three or four of us, taught in different classrooms the same material but broke up the men in different ways. And we had our work cut out for us and our objectives cut out for us there. But then there were times where we had breakout sessions where everyone was in one room and each pastor would take the time to teach a passage that was assigned to him by Brother Ryan Bush, the, the leader of the group. Um, and we, what was assigned to me is the title, they gave me the title, The Role of the Pastor in the Church. I've kind of designated it with a subheading there, The Portrait of the Pastor Elder. And so why are we teaching it here? Well, as I taught it to the men in Kenya, uh, it was well received. But one of the things that the Lord spoke to me about, just for sake of consistency, is if I'm teaching people on the other side of the world this message, I need to ensure and make sure that I'm pastoring the people that God has entrusted to me uh, with this same message as well. So I came back, I prayed and thought, and it, I was reminded that Brother Dave on Wednesday nights teaches through First Peter. And at that point, I believe he was in 1 Peter 1 or 1 Peter 2. And I just said, hey, Brother Dave, whenever you get to 1 Peter chapter 5, the Lord's given me a message to prepare and deliver. And just let me know. And in God's timing and in God's way, I'll be ready to do that. In church, for all of you listening this morning, the reason I'm preaching this message this morning is for one reason and one reason alone. It's because the Lord has brought us to this task. The Lord has brought us to this hour. And the Lord has brought us to this message. And I would say from our study of Esther, for such a time as this. That's it, period, end of story. That's all there is to say. Looking into this passage, I want us to move into chapter 1. And we saw Wednesday night in the giving of the exhortation to elders. Peter referred to himself in a threefold way. Notice there in verse 1, he refers to himself, and I would say humbly, as a fellow elder. 
Peter could have referred to himself in a number of ways. He was an apostle, but he broaches this teaching, this instruction to the churches, and now moving his focus from the churches and the believers that are scattered abroad, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, to those who lead those scattered ones. And he makes an inroads here by appealing to their calling as elders, leaders, pastors of the church. And so he says, as a fellow elder, secondly, he introduces himself in this way as a witness of Christ's sufferings, and thirdly, as a sharer of the glory to come. So that's all we're going to say. If you want to hear more about verse 1 and those three headings that Peter, before he gives instructions in verses 2, 3, and 4, this is how he inroads it. He introduces it as one who has seen the ministry and personal work of Christ. He's seen the transfiguration. He is certain of glory that is to come because he has seen the glory of Christ. More specifically, he's seen the transfiguration of Christ. He's seen the mockery, cursing, doubting, unbelief, and rejection of Christ's ministry. But he sets all those things aside and he says, I appeal to you, churches, as a fellow elder. I come to you as one who is a shepherd of the sheep. Take a moment with me. Let's turn, just for a way of introduction and context, go back uh, to 1 Peter chapter 21. That's 1 Peter, John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And let's remind ourselves of the Lord's grace and work in Peter's life. Peter is now more sanctified. He has walked for 30 plus years with the Lord as a seasoned pastor, apostle. And let's remember and review his commission that he was given by Christ in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. Just for way of context, this is after Peter has denied the Lord three times. This is after the Lord has been buried. This is after he has um, his, his atoning work. This is after he has risen again. And he's speaking some final words of conclusion. And notice how he begins in verse 15. He is preparing breakfast by the sea for his disciples. And beginning in verse 15, he says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus turns to Simon Peter and says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, we just need to hit pause for a second. The word love in English is greatly deficient. It doesn't speak to the, the full portrait of color that the Greek language does. And it's as if Peter's responding to Jesus' most intense word of love and affection to like this, yes, Lord, you know we're good, or you know I like you, you know we're acquaintances. And so here he says, he responds, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he said to him, then feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, Peter uses a different word than the most basic mundane word. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know we're friends, we're buds, for common vernacular. And he said to him, then tend to my sheep. Then, verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. And Peter matches the word that the Lord uses, you know that I love you, matches it word for word, full of pregnancy, a density of meaning there. He meets the Lord with the same affection and level of love. Well, for the third time, notice what Jesus says, if you love me, then feed my sheep. Now, that is the context. Peter is commissioned to be 
restored to the ministry, if you will, after his failure, after his denial of Christ, the Lord in front of the other apostles, going back now to 1 Peter chapter 5, the Lord is restoring Peter. The Lord is saying, Peter, I have a calling for you, and it centers around feeding my sheep, tending to my lambs. Well, Peter picks up on this terminology to help us to understand, and you need to understand that passage to understand why Peter is picking up here in 1 Peter chapter 5, the metaphor of using shepherding language of a shepherd and sheep. And we gave the outline, introduced the outline. Number one, we'll frame our thoughts around, number one, the pastor's ministry, the pastor's ministry. Number two, the pastor's vices. Number three, the pastor's motives. And then number four, the pastor's master. Now, for the sake of clarity, when we are referring to the pastor here, we're referring to the shepherding care of the church, the elders, the plurality of elders. Yes, there may be a pastor that does the, the predominant teaching and preaching of the church, but a pastor is one among equals. He serves with elders, a plurality of elders. And there's biblical health and significance to that. And while we will not spend the majority of our time unpacking the plurality of elders, what I'm talking to and speaking towards is the calling of elders and the calling of a pastor. Number one, the pastor's ministry. Right off the bat in our text here, we see a threefold ministry for a pastor. And it's related to fulfilling and serving the people of God, the sheep. We see right off the bat the threefold way of the pastor's ministry is this, feeding and overseeing the flock, feeding the flock. Secondly, exercising oversight of the flock. And then thirdly, being an example to the flock. First off, the first example of the pastor's ministry that Peter gives to us here is in verse 2, the feeding of the flock. Notice what Peter says. He says, Peter, shepherd the flock of God among you. Philip Keller gives this example of helping us to understand the nature of a shepherd and sheep. He says this, it is no accident that God has chosen to call us as his people sheep. The behavior of sheep and the behavior of humans are very similar in many ways. Sheep do not just take care of themselves as one might suppose. Sheep require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. For us to understand accurately what Peter is teaching, we need to understand in our minds vividly a shepherd with a staff, if you will, and the people of God, the church of God, as the sheep that are cared for. Notice the language, the first word that Peter uses here. He says, shepherd. Peter, shepherd the flock. This word shepherd means to feed. It means to tend to care. It means to watch over. Sheep need a shepherd. And if we were to do a survey of shepherding care within the scriptures, we find that the shepherding call of a shepherd is one of comprehensiveness. It is one of 24-7-ness. It is one of nonstop. The shepherd lives with the sheep. He walks among the sheep. He talks to the sheep. He cares for the sheep. The shepherd is there to guide them, provide for them, to protect them, sometimes to rescue them from imminent danger or imminent harm. It could be in the form of false teaching. It could be in the sense of a wolf or a devourer. It could literally be someone coming into the fold and a concern that is there. The shepherd must be on guard. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus likens the disoriented, confused, 
unclean, spiritually lost people, the crowds, the Jewish people of his day, and he likens them as flocks without shepherds. Matthew 9, 36, Jesus said this, it says, When he saw the multitudes, his heart was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted, and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his, his harvest. Now, we could spend the rest of our time this morning simply talking about all that a shepherd does. I'm going to hit some highlights and then come back to what Peter emphasizes here in verses 2 through 4. But just generically, the shepherd protects. The shepherd protects. Elders, pastors, shepherds are called to keep the church from falling asleep to believing or following after false teaching or popular teaching that, that may be a subterfuge in their faith, that may lead them astray. It could be in the form of present-day theologies that are trendy and popular and new. And let me just remind all of us, if theology is new, it's old heresy. If anything comes about that some new discovery or a pastor says to you, I'm going to tell you something that you've never heard before that God's given to me, you're your radar should go up, ding, 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 ding. This, this might be a very real problem. Because God has given to us, Jude chapter 2, the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. Complete. Our task is not to discover new things. Our task is to teach and preach and study and discover all that God's given to us in the form of His Word. A shepherd protects. Today, I would just probably the most pertinent aspect of a shepherd protecting his sheep is that of against false doctrine. I'll go ahead and, just like last week, try to anticipate thoughts and things that people say, have said, and concerns that they'll come up to me with. And one, one question I get is, LeGrand, why don't you spend more time preaching against current events? Well, that's a great question. My task is to preach in such a way that I'm feeding the sheep primarily and for, first and foremost. But my task is not to preach the newspaper. My task is not to preach the headlines. But my task is to, within the form of God's Word, if there's something imminent, uh, certainly to stop the normal teaching and preaching ministry of the church to address something that is certainly affecting the whole of our church. But friends, I'm a localized pastor. I'm not a YouTube pastor. I'm not a Facebook pastor. And I'm not pastoring the world. I'm pastoring you. Mike and Pat are pastoring you. We're all pastoring you. And so we are to be attuned to the needs of this church and the things that you are facing. And just because something is going on out there, and I do understand that some of you would say, well, then our, but our world is more connected than ever. Yes, and all the more reason to be committed to the teaching and preaching of the Word, lest we never teach and preach the Word. We could spend all of our times with urgent, sudden pings and dings and events and things, and we could get so far off track. So pray for us. Pray for wisdom and discernment to know how to feed uh, the flock and how to protect the flock. Much, so much more I could say there. We need to keep moving. A shepherd protects, a shepherd leads, a shepherd heals. Much of the shepherd's ministry regarding physical sheep is to keep them from disease, regularly shearing them and examining their, their coats to keep them from getting uh, bugs and maggots and things that would infect their skin, to keep them clean and to purify them and to watch over them. And so a pastor certainly heals and counsels and ministers and prays for. He marries people. He counsels people. He buries people. He ministers to people. So many more things we could say there, but I think you get the picture. And that is why Peter says this, Pastors, elders of the churches, of those scattered abroad, shepherd the flock of God. 
Shepherd those flock among you. I want to come back to the feeding of the sheep. Primarily, the shepherd is to feed God's people with the sound doctrine of God's word. Church, I'm not tasked to give you jokes. Some of you may say, our elders aren't funny. Now, would it be nice to have funny jokes? I'd like to think I'm funny if you get to know me and talk to me one-on-one. Usually, in the public square, I'll just be honest with you, my jokes fall flat. People don't get them. I'm not a comedian, and I would die and starve if I was a stand-up comedian. I'm a bad one. But that's not my calling, thank goodness. My calling is to teach and preach God's Word, not to be funny. Uh, that's not my aim. My, my task is not to be a good storyteller or to use a common word today, a communicator. Am I communicating in a sense? Absolutely. But I'm not called to be a smooth, suave operator. My task is not to be a, um, a sharp, gleaming, glittering communicator, a TED Talk speaker. My, I'm a shepherd. These guys are shepherds. In the pastoral ministry, we are shepherds. My task is not to fill you with entertainment. I remember hearing a woman in this community say at a ball game as our children were playing, uh, she was complaining about our church, and she said, our church just isn't funny. I I think when you go to church, you should have fun. And I was just sitting there just listening, and the conversation did not include me, and I did not take the bait. And, uh, but I just remember thinking, that, that must be what some people think. Well, our task is not to be entertaining or funny. My task is not to teach and preach new theories, ideas, or opinions to you. The task is clear. As Jesus told to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep what? Feed my sheep sound doctrine. Peter's already given us in this epistle, we will not go back to chapter 1 and 2, but he gives description of the meat of God's word. And church, I just want to remind us this morning, the scriptures are sufficient for us. The Bible is sufficient for us to feed on, to live on. The scriptures are given to us for life and for godliness. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 2, where Paul gives the descriptions of the church leaders and elders, one of the things he gives as a qualification is that they must have the gift of teaching. 1 Peter 3, 2, able or apt to teach. There's also in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, a responsibility to instruct. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, Timothy, preach the word. Notice there, not as I mentioned a moment ago, don't tell jokes and focus on humor or entertainment or self-help therapies or those types of things. Timothy, your task is preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Timothy, this is your task. Verse 5 there of that passage, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians 4, verse 11. This is a pivotal passage to understand why the shepherding ministry of the church is primarily the feeding of the sheep. Many people... Um, not referring to anyone or anything specifically, but a lot of people you will hear that they will leave their church and they'll say, I just wasn't being fed there. How many of you have ever heard that phrase? I wasn't being fed there. That could be, that could be true. It could be all manner of reasons for that. Well, let me just tell you, the primary reason why we come together doing what we're doing right here is to be fed. It's to grow in the nourishment of God's word. Ephesians 4 verse 11 says this, And he gave himself some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, And some pastors and teachers, why? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, 
for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is why we gather. This is why we're doing what we're doing this morning for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a perfect man, to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. Also, why do we do this? So that we should no longer be children. That means growing in maturity. No longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What is the primary teaching ministry of the church? What is the purpose of it? It is to equip you, church, the saints, notice here, for the work of the ministry. In church, I'm so grateful to pastor a church that does just that. You get involved. You are the body of Christ. You are the hands and feet of Christ. When the Lord opens ministry opportunities, you are growing. You're under the ministry of the word. You're walking privately in exposure to the word in your own life. And out of that overflow, you come and grow with the body. And then when the Lord gives us opportunities for ministry and personal care and service, you say, here am I. Send me, pastor. How can I get involved? It's a delight, and I commend you for it, and I praise you for it. And again, that's the purpose of teaching and preaching for the equipping of the work of the ministry. Many people, when they come to their churches, they view it as a, a checklist. They come to it like a, someone going to the movie theater, watching a movie. They may come in right on time or watch the clips before, and they come in and they, they passively kind of watch the movie, and then they leave as soon as it's over, beating the credits, and they're out of there, and they're done. They move on with their week very sim- in a very similar way. But that's not what is to be our mindset. We come to be fed. We come to be equipped. We come, I was talking with a man this week and said, Pastor, this is his quote, Pastor, I believe it is my calling as a godly man to be ready to speak for the Lord whenever he gives me an opportunity. And he said, I believe, and I'm like just nodding my, amen, brother. And he said, and I believe that my walk with God should be so vibrant and personal that even if I'm not prepared a sermon, if there's an opportunity to share a word of grace based upon the feeding that I get from the church and based upon my personal walk with the Lord that I could stand and give a word, a message that is biblical and helpful, uh, that is ministry-minded just based upon what I receive. And I said, that's it, brother. And I reminded him of this passage that is the purpose of teaching and preaching, to equip you for the work of the ministry. Church, listen. Take notes because this very day, the Lord may have you minister like a counselor to someone in need. And the freshest thing on your mind may be what you heard in Sunday school this morning or the morning worship hour. It may be at the restaurant today with the waitress or the waiter. Well, this is the chief means of the shepherding work of the elder pastor. It's to feed the flock. Now, I've taken a moment to unpack that. Now, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Chapter 5, verse 2, and notice the second thing that Peter brings in. He charges the, the pastor shepherds to take oversight, to exercise oversight of the flock. Verse 2, he says, exercising oversight over the flock of God. Here, Peter points to the leading, the administering tasks, uh, work of the shepherd. A, a, a flock must not only be fed, they need to be led, is another way you could say it. Not only must instruction be given, but a flock must be governed. 
Taking oversight of the flock is often where some of the most natural rubs take place in the relationship of the elder pastor and the sheep. Many people who've not been fed well, shepherded well, who don't know what biblical health looks like, they will often say, what are you doing when a pastor calls them? What are you doing when a pastor visits them and he's not seen them after a period of time and he's praying for them, he notices their absences, leave me alone, I'll do what I want to do, some people may say, I'm not thinking of anyone or anything, but they forget about this dynamic of the, sh- the pastor elder is a shepherd and he's seeking the sheep. Remember the context of Matthew 18, what is God's response to his sheep, even just one that's lost and gone, he goes and he exercises oversight, he goes to reclaim, redeem. This points to also just the the everyday tasks of administration and leading and shepherding the church. Again, sheep not only need to be fed, they must be led. Titus chapter 1 verse 9, Paul says this, A pastor must hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, so that he may be able with sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. 2 Timothy 4.2 already mentioned to preach the word, but Timothy be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This administration of the word, counseling, and getting into narrowing the scope into everyday life is not something that either the pastor or sheep always enjoy. Sheep don't always like being governed. Isaiah 53 verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Sheep need to be guided. Sheep need to be led. And much like a parent provides for shepherds and feeds his children, feeds their children, a pastor must also, with the gift of exposition, have the gift of management of God's people, have an ability to instruct, an ability to discipline, an ability to oversee. He is a, an administrator, a pastor, a shepherd. All of this is bound up in Peter's term here to oversee the flock of God. Well, how can we know that a pastor can do this? That's a great question. If a church is looking for a pastor, if a church is looking for leadership or to add other elders to their, to their leadership in the plurality of elders sense, how can we know who is a great example? Who is a man qualified? Well, we can look at the qualifications, of course, but one key test is that the man is leading well at home. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, how can we know that he can oversee the flock of God among you at the church? Look no further than his home. Before we look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, the pastoral calling, the shepherding calling, is one of the few calling in the world where your life at home directly correlates to your calling and vocation. Football coaches and basketball coaches, CEOs, may abandon their family, may live however they want, mistreat their children, whatever, and still have their jobs, but not so with the pastor, elder, shepherd, and nor should it be. Nor should it be, is there a problem with that? You don't, don't hear that as a complaint. But there's a key connection between the pastor's leadership in his home and the pastor's leadership in the church. First Timothy 3, verse 4, Paul says this, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children in submission For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So an elder must be able to shepherd his own home well before he can shepherd the house of God. The pastor's ministry is reflected in his call to feed the flock. Secondly, in taking oversight over the flock. But notice the third example of the pastor's ministry given here in verse 3. He must be an example to the flock. And notice what Peter says not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples 
to the flock. How is the pastor to be an example to the flock of God? He is to be an example or a pattern of devotion and holiness to the Lord. He is to model the way the Lord Jesus Christ modeled for his disciples how to shepherd the flock of God, how to walk with God, how to pray, what it means to commune with the Lord. Paul picks up this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says this, imitate me, follow me only in this way as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, follow me just as I also follow Christ. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. How do we know outside of faith and the one we've not seen in love, which is legitimate and real, which gives honor and glory to God, but how do we know what it looks like? Well, the Lord gives us models. The Lord gives us examples. And the pastor's not superhuman. He's not perfect. He's a sinner saved by grace, just like you are a sinner saved by grace. The pastor is a recipient and a trophy of God's grace. The elder pastor is. But listen, and no one is perfect, but he's called to model, to be an example, to follow the Lord's example, to be an example for the flock, an example of holiness, an example of zeal for the Lord, an example of love for God, an example of love for the church and laying down his life for the things of God and the cause of God in Christ. It's to be an example of the love for the gospel, an example of love for the word of God. He must show these things in his home life. He must set the standard. He must model it. He must lead the way. Again, not perfectly. A pastor preaches a better message than he can live. A pastor is under a standard that is crushing, but yet it's, it's enabled by God's grace. But yet it's the calling that God has given. He's to walk by faith. He's to model what it is to live by faith. He's to, he's to model repentance. He's to be an example of prayer. He's to be an example of all everything you can think of. The pastor is to lead the way. He is to be conformed to the image of Christ. He is not to be a stumbling block to those within the church or those without of the church. See, Paul's qualifications for leadership. He must have a good report, a good example among the community. Again, he's to walk by faith. He is to be above reproach. He is to be a living example. Turn briefly with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And just to look at an example of what a pastor is to model, as Paul gives instruction in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 to the church. This passage is fresh in our minds as the teenagers because we memorized this passage this past fall. And so, teenagers, I have no doubt your minds just were alerted there. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Notice what Paul writes. He says, Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, uh, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, blessing those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another and do, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but 
overcome evil with good. To be clear, what Paul is writing in Romans 12 is instruction to the church. But we're giving an example of how the pastor is to be an example of Christ. The pastor is to lead the way. This is a great generic overall instruction to the church, but also an example of how the pastor is to model for the sheep these very qualities and obedience to the Lord's word is truth. So number one, we need to move quickly here. The pastor's threefold ministry that Peter gives is to feed the flock, exercise oversight of the flock, and to be an example to the flock. And now we move to point number two. Main point number one was the pastor's ministry. Now secondly, the pastor's and I'm going to do a trick here on you. I had previously put vices. I changed it this morning to mindfulness. The pastor's mindfulness. Notice there in verses 2 and 3. That is to say, the pastor is to be alert. He is to be on guard against many things. But Peter brings three things into play here. The three things he gives is in verse 2. He begins with his laziness, to be on guard against greed, and to be on guard against the misuse of power, laziness, greed, and power. First of all, laziness. What is the pastor to be mindful of? Verse 2, serving as overseers. He says, shepherd the flock of God, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So, so notice what he says here in this aspect of, of laziness. Not reactively, lazily, with grumbling, but you're to serve the Lord with zeal. Don't serve in response to needs alone. Don't simply react to the needs of the call of your sheep and those types of things. Serve, not by compulsion, but serve with a heart that is willing. In other words, to say it succinctly, serve proactively and not reactively. Remember, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, one of the first qualifications of an elder is that if anyone aspires or desires to the office of a bishop or an overseer, he desires a noble task. No one should be serving as a pastor that doesn't want to be. That desire is not there. A desire alone doesn't equate the call exclusively, but it certainly can begin there. So the idea here is, is to serve and serve willfully, to serve gladly, not by compulsion, but willingly. That is to say, a pastor should approach his entrustment and his call and his care with zeal, with diligence. Another way of saying it is a pastor should put just as much time into his work as the men in the pew put into their work. A pastor should be able to roll up his sleeves. I remember, I think it's F.B. Meyer who would go into his study every day with work boots on. He would lace his work boots up, reminding himself that his men were going into the coal mines in England and were going into different aspects of work, and that he himself was called to the labor of the word, but he was reminding himself to be a workman who was diligent and unashamed. That's what we're talking about. Another way of saying it is this, the pastor elder standard is not less than that of his members in the, the aim that they put into their work, and the reason is this, the pastor's work is glorious, and I would just remind the church that all of the Lord's work is glorious. Psalm 116, Psalm 111, verse 3, excuse me, the Lord's work is honorable and glorious. Friends, it's the most wonderful work, the most privileged work. It is a calling. It is a gift that the Lord could ever give. That is not to say that the work of the ministry is not laborious. It is glorious, but it's also laborious. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the apostles, in, overwhelming, in responding to the overwhelming response of the needs of the people, said this, but we will give and devote ourselves 
to prayer and the ministry of the word. In fact, going back to verse 2, one way that a pastor shepherds and gives oversight, keyword oversight to the flock, is they delegate. They administer, and part of that administration is delegating things that others can do so that they can do the things that the others can't do. Does that make sense? Pastors delegate what others can do, but focus on the one thing that only they are called to give themselves to. Ultimately, that is the ministry of the word and prayer as the shepherd of the flock. One author says it like this, a call to preach is a call to prepare. And a person who desires to preach or stand up before God's people without preparation, I think it's H.B. Charles who says it is simply a desire to perform. And that goes for any area of the ministry. That goes for any aspect of the church where diligence is required and we need to prepare and practice. This is not a realm to where this is just church, where we just show up and do our thing and see what happens. Now listen, this is the Lord's work. It's honorable. It's glorious. And it deserves our best. That doesn't mean perfection. It may mean we make mistakes sometimes and we try to grow from that and learn from that. But in the main sense, what it is is we give ourselves to the Lord. And so a pastor who's called to preach he must prepare. What Peter is saying here is don't be lazy. Give yourself to the ministry of the word. Don't respond haphazardly, reactively. Give yourself with zeal to the Lord's calling. Notice in verse 3, the second thing a pastor must be mindful against is against greed. That is to say, he must be on guard against greed. Notice he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That is to say, a pastor must keep his focus on what the Lord has given him. It's not to say a pastor cannot earn a living. It's not to say a pastor can't be paid for his labor of love and service. But what it is to say is a pastor must guard his heart against greed. A pastor must guard his heart against using the means of the ministry as a means to get rich. As many say, we could give examples of TV pastors or people who are constantly preaching about money. And people who say, give and you'll be blessed, or that type of thing. But it's not limited to that. It could be any way that a pastor could concoct or uh, come up with some type of way to use the things of God as a means to build an empire, you could say. He must be on guard. He must guard his heart. He must be careful. He must guard against greed. He must protect his heart against these temptations. And so sometimes this happens when a pastor, uh, any, any number of subtle temptations, I don't want to get off track, but... A pastor just begins to lose his heart in his job. He begins to just get clinical, sterile, cold. He begins to clock in and out, views it as just a, not a calling or a job. And then his heart can easily be just motivated, if not for the glory of God and the passion of the calling. He can get hurt. He can get injured in different ways. He may get be, be tempted to be driven by something like money. He must be on guard against it. It's interesting to me that People regularly have a standard for their pastor that they don't hold to themselves. And I'll say it like this. How many men say, I think this is the Lord's will for me to take this job because the pay raise is higher. But if your pastor did that, you would not think highly of him. If a, call, a church called and said, the only difference is just clinically we'll pay you more. And you found that out and the, and the pastor took that, you would say that would hurt you. But for many men, that's the sign of God's will in their life. But this is the very thing that a pastor must be on guard against. A pastor must guard his heart. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. All men must be hard workers and laborers and to earn money and bonuses and all that. That's good. There's no problem in any of that. That's not what we're saying. But uniquely, the instruction here is for the pastor that leads God's people, he must guard his heart not to be driven by money because it's a very real temptation. 
The third thing that Peter gives instruction against in verse 3, the pastor must be mindful against is this, to not be domineering over those in his charge, but to be examples to the flock. Here, I'm going to be cyclical in my preaching. You'll hear some things again and again, like I'm coming back to it. And it's that example part. But notice what Peter warns against, not domineering. Now, we need to be clear here. There are many. I, I could give you examples if you want to talk about it after. I'll, we'll, we'll do that because this is not the, the time. But increasingly, more and more in our effeminate age, in our age of the emasculation of, of men, where pastors are exercising normal manhood, authority, their callings as men and men who are called to be shepherds, increasingly people are offended by authority. Let's establish that as a fact. They're, they're, they're offended by uh, directness, conciseness. Just a pastor or a man who can speak direct, who can look you in the face, who can, can talk directly, that type of thing. Increasingly, in our effeminate age, ladies, don't be offended by that, people are offended. So you need to understand that in the cultural climate of the day, many pastors are accused of being what is normal, and that is just simply walking in the fear of the Lord, being a man. Manhood is under attack today. Let me just be clear on that. That's, that's not only for me, but it's, it's for you men as well. So sometimes when the authority is preached or teached, people respond to it in a way they're like, I don't like that because they don't see it at home or they don't see it in their schools or they don't see it at the club. In fact, the church is increasingly becoming a lighthouse, a city on a hill. Go think of that. You know, wonder why. That's, that's what we are. But increasingly, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood are on display for the glory of God. But there is a reality that one of the qualifications for an elder is that he not be a brawler. In other words, and Paul gives instruction to Timothy, that he not enjoy the fight. Someone who typically enjoys the fight, that's a cause for concern. In fact, you can't shepherd sheep, think about the imagery, if the shepherd is not tender, yet firm, and have ability to have a voice for the enemy, and yet a voice for the sheep. Remember Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. They know me. There's a voice that the shepherd must have for feeding the sheep, loving the sheep, teaching the sheep, but that is not to say that the shepherd is mean when he addresses the enemy, the bear, the lion, the wolf. Are you with me, church? There's a certain voice that's needed to do that, to teach and preach, and the two are not the same. If someone were breaking into your house, you would be thankful that your husband could be a lion in that moment. And yet, there may be other moments where when your husband is a lion, uh, ladies, for just giving an example, uh, that it may be inappropriate if he's not tenderly caring for you, right? There's a, there's a time and a place, and those, I'm getting off track, I can feel it. Let me get back to my notes. Thirdly, to be mindful, to be on guard against being power-hungry, not domineering over those in, in your charge, but being an example to the flock. I'll just say succinctly, the pastorate, the pulpit, the ministry is no place for being arrogant, there's no place for ego. It's no place to displace self and pride and to promote vainglory. So these are the vices. These are the things that an elder must be, the temptations that an elder must be mindful against. The pastor's ministry, the pastor's mindfulness. Number three, the pastor's motives. Notice what Peter addresses here. Number one, he gives us that they are to be motivated. The reason they serve and lead God's flock, the church, it's because they love the bride of Christ. Notice what Peter says in verse 2 there. He mentions shepherding the flock of God. This word for flock is a gentle term. It's a, it's a term of endearment. To the reference of the flock of God puts the emphasis on the dear ones of Christ. 
It's a personal responsibility. It's a pledge of affection. More succinctly, church, you are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Even more specifically, you are the sheep, the bride, the people that he has purchased with his own blood. There's affection. There's tenderness. You're not my bride. You're his bride. You're not our elder's bride. Ultimately, you are his bride. Shepherd, that's why Peter says shepherd, the flock of God. This is why it's important. Acts chapter 20 makes reference to it as well, which he has purchased with his own blood. You are purchased. You are bought with a price. And so he has given his life for you, and the pastor, elder, shepherd is too. He is to give his life for you. He is to give his life for you as Christ gave his life for his bride, his people, for his sheep. The saints of God, church, hear this, are precious to God. Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And not only is their death precious, but their lives are precious to him. Notice the second motivation Peter gives here in our text is not under compulsion, but willingly. Again, coming back to this term there in verse 2, a pastor must serve not because he has to, but because he wants to. He gets to. You could say it like this. He is a, it's a privilege. It is not a, a duty that is drudgery or burdens him down. The expressions of a pastor as he serves the Lord should be one of, I love the Lord. I love his work. And it's willing. It's one that does not draw attention to himself and the burden that he bears. The pastor's not constantly talking about the weight that he carries and the, the burdens of the sheep. Many pastors spend their time doing that. And if I ever do that, forgive me and pray for me and exhort me and remind me that I'm doing that. The pastor's never to draw attention to himself. He is not to use showmanship to manipulate the people of God, but he is to give himself to the Lord. And the bottom line is this, with a heart motivation of willingness. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 picks up on the same word. In the passage there is in context of giving. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't only love a cheerful giver, but God loves a cheerful pastor. God not only loves a cheerful pastor, but when you have a cheerful pastor, and I don't mean somebody that's fake happy all the time, but somebody who's rooted in the joy of the Lord, guess what? The sheep follow that pastor, and there's a deep rootedness and a joy in Christ, and God loves it. It's not saying everything's easy and happy-go-lucky. We're not talking about Pollyanna. We're just talking about there's a love for God and a joy for God, and it does not honor God even when a pastor has a long-suffering, look at me, I'm weary right now, there's a burden in my heart. Are those times there? Yes, and they may come out, yes. Same thing for you. You don't give honor and glory to God when you come about manipulating the church through long faces. Uh, you may be struggling or whatever, so please don't hear that I'm saying if you're hurting and sorrowful, you can't come for prayer, but I'm talking about you know what you're doing. You're intentionally manipulating the people of God. You want attention over something that the Lord has called you to do or a ministry that you serve in. Listen, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves cheerful pastors. And I'll just go ahead and say, and he loves cheerful people who love him and serve him with a willingness of heart. Notice there in verse 3, the third motive that a pastor has is this. He has an eagerness to serve, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, that is to say, of a ready mind, of a ready mind. That means ready to serve, eager, like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, when Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. 
So the pastor is not to be driven by anything else outside of just the call of God, the love of God, and not being a double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways. Notice the third or fourth motivation given there in verse 3. As he gives, again, this example, not domineering over those in your charge, but as an example to the flock, those who are given to you, those who are in your charge. I want to notice that phrase. This goes back to the Old Testament. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example. In the Old Testament, the lots in the Old Testament were divided unto each one of the tribes, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Joseph. And this language over those in your charge correlates and connects back to that understanding A portion, you could say, of the land was given to each one of the leaders of the tribes, and that was supposed to stay within the tribe. Another way of saying it was, it was a heritage. It was an inheritance. Maybe the translation you're reading uses the word uh, God's heritage. Some translations phrased it in that way. So it is a heritage. Is it inheritance? It is an allotment. And so Peter is picking up on this language to elders, and he says this, God has given to you the lot of God. In other words, the flock that you're shepherding, the flock that you're leading is God's gift to you, but it's his that you're serving on his behalf. It's a privilege. It's an allotment. And just as the elders in Israel were raised up to lead God's people, Peter picks up on this language by saying God has placed elders to lead his bride. And notice the call that he gives. He says, the example of Christ, but being examples to the flock. Again, how do pastors know how to do this? Well, we look to the person and work of Christ. Turn, to me, turn with me to John chapter 13 and verse 13, and notice what the Lord says there to his disciples. Picking up on this example language, in John chapter 13, verse 13, Here, Jesus says this to his audience, to his people there. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, then blessed are you who do them. Cyclically, coming back to this language of being an example, the pastor is not above his master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, notice Jesus says there, I have given you an example. A pastor should walk with the sheep, serve the sheep, smell like the sheep. He's not a CEO. He's not an influencer that's way up here and and everyone else is down here. In fact, to most truly understand a a pastor, he's not to be elevated like a well, the way we glamorize coaches and CEOs and businessmen, things like that. He is the leader of the church. The elders are the leaders of the church. But to understand what leadership in the church looks like is to see a servant. Leadership in the church looks like a lot like servanthood. Again, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who, who sent him. Many pastors have forgotten this. Many pastors have forgotten this is a football. This is the basics. This is your shepherd's rod, and these are the sheep, the flock of God. How good it is for us to come face to face with this and to be exposed to this and remember just exactly what it is that God has called us to. Thank you for your patience. I know this has been full. I've got one more point here, and it's point number four. 
the pastor's master that Peter gives to us here in our text in verse 4. The pastor's master. That is to say, whom the pastor serves and answers to. Notice what Peter says there in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I love the song we sang this morning, Be Thou My Vision. And the phrase there, not for man's empty praise. The whole theme of the song is focus upon the glory of God. Pastors are to serve in such a way that they know that they will ultimately give their accounting before the Lord. They will receive their reward from the Lord. And notice, there is a chief shepherd, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when, verse 4, the chief shepherd appears, so there is a chief shepherd. And he is the chief shepherd. We are the under shepherds. The key point I want to make is that pastors have their authority under another. That is the chief shepherd. They have a delegated authority. We are men under authority. And so because of that being under authority, we learn how to lead with authority, knowing that we answer to God for how we lead and shepherd the sheep. Philip DeCourcy, who's a pastor in California that I love and I've heard more recently, some of you, we went together to, over, uh, to hear him speak here locally. He says it, summarizes it so helpfully like this. He says, the pastor's boss is ultimately not the church. The pastor is the church's servant, but the church is not the pastor's master. The pastor, the elders, answer to the chief shepherd. Now, let me be clear here. That is not to say the church can't exercise accountability or those types of things, it's, but it's the understanding that the pastor answers to the Lord in judgment. Notice the text here. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the pastor's aim. This is what the pastor knows. He knows that there's a reward for shepherds, and that is the unfading crown of glory. And I'm going to go ahead and answer a question I think you may have. What is that crown? Is it a literal crown? It may be. I don't know. The, the Bible's not quiet or silent when it speaks to rewards. But I believe this reward is the Christ-likeness of the flock that's been entrusted to him. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, and we'll prepare to close this morning. Turn with me to Colossians 1, verse 28. As we consider what is that reward that the elders receive, well, one thing we know is the unfading crown of glory. I believe it to be the people that have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry of the word. I believe it's the sanctified body that that pastored, the sheep that have grown in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's just the reflection of Christ being reflected in his sanctified people, sanctified into his image as they praise him and fellowship with him for all eternity. Imagine maybe to give a, just a, an example. Parents, sometimes when you have your children still at home, uh, there's just a sense of peace and reward when everybody's home and they're in their place and they're in their beds there's going to be a wonderful feeling for the pastor when he looks around heaven one day before the throne of God and he sees his people. They're all home. They're in their place. And they represent and they're protected. And they are beautiful in Christ. We're all made one in Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul gives this instruction and this admonition, speaking of Christ. And he says this, Him, Christ, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. And here's the goal. Why? So that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor and strive, striving, working according to his working, which works in me mightily. This is it. Why do we stay to it? Why do we stick with the church? 
Why do we serve the Lord where he's placed us? Remember, the Lord's work is honorable and glorious. And I would just, I can't emphasize that enough. You may volunteer and work and still be in your working years. You may do all kinds of things, and that's good and great. Not putting any of that down. Just don't put the Lord's work down. Remember, out of all that you do, the most glorious of all of it is making disciples and serving the Lord. This is it. What is it? Simply those that the Lord gives us influence with, that we may be able to present them before the Lord one day, beginning with the pastor and then to the sheep, that we may present every man in wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's it, church. That's the goal. That's the ambition. Don't have to turn there, but Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.20, he says this, For you are our glory, you are our crown, some translations render it, you are our glory and our joy. I believe the pastor's reward is to sanctify people that he has shepherded with him in glory as they worship the Lord forever and ever. And uh, that, amen. Well, may the Lord add his blessing uh, to his word. I just want to say this. This has been a technical message. This has been a precise message. I've not been ashamed at all to preach this message. First Peter 5 is just as inspired as John three sixteen. It is the word of God, and there's a time and a place to do all of it. But if you're here this morning and you're wondering, what about me? I'm not a sheep. I'm not under a shepherd. And I sense it. I'm lost and I know it. And yet, I want to be saved. Let me just exhort you this morning to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. If the Lord is working in your heart, if you want to call upon the name of the Lord and you sense that longing, you're awakened, you start to see your need and your understanding, I I want this. The Lord has shown me this. I just want to exhort you today to call upon the Lord, to turn from your sins. Repent of your sin and to rest in him and trust in him alone. And what a delight it would be to be your shepherd and for you to join the flock of God here, not, maybe not only physically, but spiritually, truly born again, and to understand truly what these things are and what they mean. Well, let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for your enabling grace, and we thank you for your word, your truth, and we thank you that you've given it to us. And Father, I pray that it would feed us, that it would be a blessing to your people as we leave and as we think about and remember and meditate on all that we've heard this morning. Father, grace is a special place. It's not a perfect place, but it's a place where you're at work. And as we think about the sheep and the shepherd, Father, we rejoice in the day that you made us yours, where you called us. And Father, how we joined the flock of God, the church of God. Father, what a joy it is to be a part of the body of Christ. And we pray that you would convict, reprove, rebuke, exhort, sanctify, and save. Use your word in a way that you promise to where it will not return void. And we commit this to you at this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.